Welcome to the Zell Informer Podcast. I'm your host, Alfred Tabex, joined once again by Canada's number one export, Andy Spatiri. Hello, everybody. So this week, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, one of them might not actually be uh, something that you guys like, but we'll see. Uh, first off, let's just start with some uh, Zelda stuff, though, as, as we always do. Um, there's a daily debate that we put out, uh, I think, yesterday or today, um, about whether or not Newfane should start with Breath of the Wild. So I want to take that a step further if if we had to pick a specific game that we thought a new Zelda fan should start with, um, like their their game that was an entry to the series, what what game would we pick, um, and why? So I'm just gonna toss that to you first, uh, Andy, and see where where we go. Um, with this one. Okay, that's an easy one for me, and I know a lot of people rag on me for always talking about how great Ocarina of Time is, but it'd be Ocarina of Time. <laughs> um, I think that's like. It's like the perfect gateway into what Zelda's about, how it controls, how you should play. Me me and my girlfriend played it uh, not too long ago. We played on the 3DS. She never played a Zelda game before. And uh, and we, you know, I, I got her on that adventure because I thought it would be the most accessible and easy to get into. Um, I ended up playing, like, a lot of it and finding all the Skulltalas and whatever. But, uh, uh, no, I, it would be a great time for me. I think that's, like... The perfect launching point it kind of gives you an idea of like what the series is about it's it's modern enough where it doesn't feel too dated like yeah like i, I think if you start with a link to the past it, it can feel a little bit um dated yeah i don't know i don't know that it's aged as well as ocarina of time um so yeah that would, that would probably be my answer and you can just play it on the go now on your 3ds That's which true. is which is a bonus so that would be it for me I was thinking about this because, like he said, Ocarina of Time is kind of like the entry point because that's the one that everybody knows about. Um, but honestly, I feel like I'd, and this <clears> might <throat> seem a little biased, but I feel like I'd put people in, like I, the the game that I'd recommend first would probably be Wind Waker. Um, <coughs> just because it's, it's not too difficult um, when it comes mm-hmm. to the puzzles in the game. Um, it's not saying that the game is like easy by any means. It, it is easy now that you've played it, like we played it over and over and over again. But there's nothing quite like the Water Temple or quite like uh, Jabu Jabu in uh, Wind Waker that is just so like you could get stuck on and frustratingly difficult um, mm-hmm. the, for a first time. Play. And that and that's fair. I think she would have really struggled if I kind of wasn't in her ear mm-hmm. shouting at her, telling her what to do. Now, granted, she's she's looking at me right now, agreeing with that. <laughs> now, granted, there are the difficulties that you face when you get to Wind Waker. Um, most notably, probably the uh, <coughs> Triforce hunt. Um, mm-hmm. And this is I. I honestly liked that part of the game. I liked that that was in there, um, and I enjoyed it back in. Uh, what was it? Uh, what? 2003 yeah the the yeah, original one for yeah. gamecube um I, mm-hmm. of course i enjoyed the wii u version as well uh, i just um enjoyed that part of the game a lot because it not that it just petted out the game like a lot of people complained <clears throat> but it added like uh, it did it gave you something to do in the ocean besides just float around um mm-hmm. but i probably would throw people 
into the Wii U version first, just because it's not as intensive. Um, whereas the, the interfaces are a lot easier to navigate. Oh yeah. Whereas, and that's pretty much true of any remake, really. Well, if you if you jumped them, if you threw them straight into, like you said, Link to the Past, that game is is pretty difficult, um, and really confusing <coughs> for a first time player. Um, I, yeah, I guess for a first time player, like if you don't know the map, if you're not aware of how uh, high rules laid out and what to do, a first time player is going to struggle with that. Uh, definitely going to struggle with the first Zelda. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not even. I, I would never recommend the first Zelda um, to anybody to start with. I, I don't think that's aged well at all, and like it's like it's tough. Like, but I mean that's like NES games in general. They're they're tough to play, especially for like games nowadays. Kind of hold your hand a little bit, so it's um, it's tough to wrap your mind around that style. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I guess the thing is too is is the reason why I'm not saying Breath of the Wild, even though it's a fantastic game, um, is it departs from a lot of what makes Zelda. Zelda and it redefines the mm-hmm. series. Um, so if somebody really wanted to understand what Zelda was before uh, Breath of the Wild, then they should play some of the older games so that they can get a better feel <clears throat> of what it was uh, before Breath of the Wild. Yeah, uh, and I feel like in in maybe twenty years, like whoever's hosting this podcast down the line, then is going to say like like basically he's going to be talking about Breath of the Wild the same way that we're talking about our favorite Zelda games. Um, and you know maybe they're they're gonna say like our games are dated but <laughs> yeah for, for breath of the wild it's 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 a great game i don't know if it's the the jumping point that i would like if i wanted someone to get into zelda i don't know if i'd say breath of the wild is is the game i'd want them to play first well, so- or maybe i'd say play it first and then play another game second just so you know that it, like not everything is is exactly like breath of the wild well it's so vastly different from other Zelda games in terms of its play mm-hmm. style um, that you almost can't <coughs> say here's Breath of the Wild this is this is the first Zelda game you should play and then all other Zelda games are going to be like it because honestly you're going to be the person's going to be comparing Breath of the Wild to the other games they play retroactively yeah not that and, we're not and if Breath of the Wild if that's your first Zelda game like the other games probably won't look that impressive to you well, even going back, like uh, one of the things that Nate and I talked about a long time ago was, uh, you go back and play something like Skyward Sword or Wind Waker, and it's weird to see the grass as a flat texture with like sprouts mm. of grass up, uh, sprouts of grass popping up out of it that you can cut down. Um, it just seems weird now, knowing that there's like a game that literally has like real grass on the ground that flows with the wind that moves. Um, that reacts, that can be burned, that can be cut in different ways. Mm-hmm. It's 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 weird to look back, and it makes sense in context of the game and the system's uh, restrictions uh, technologically. But you also have to think, you know, okay, if somebody's going to be playing this for the first time, they're going to be saying, "Oh, well, this is missing this, this, and this from Breath of the Wild." Yeah. And as much as I, I feel like if you're new, if you're new to the series. And you wanna and you wanna like play Zelda going forward. Breath of the Wild would be a good game to to start with to get you into the Zelda series and like get you hooked on it. Like it, you might not be that impressed with the old ones, but at least you're going to be hooked going forward. So in that respect, yes, Breath of the Wild would be a good game to start with. But like I always kind of use Link to the Past as an example for me because like I played Ocarina of Time first. That was my my first Zelda, and Link to the Past one of the you know 
widely regarded as one of the greatest games that there is. But like when I played it, I was just like, eh, you know, like this is okay, but it's not, it's got nothing on Ocarina of Time, you know? So I feel like, you know, I feel like if you play Breath of the Wild and you play some of the older games um, after that, you're probably going to be like around the same, around the same thought as I was. Where like, these are, these are pretty good, but like, you know, um, and that's just where video games are at today. Like the, the Breath of the Wild is kind of what you come to expect in terms of scope, in terms of um, smoothness in, in how you play. So, Well, also, you, I guess, you run into the difficulty of uh, <clears throat> not saying that necessarily the first game you play is uh, going to set the standard for everything. You're like, that is going to be your favorite. Um, but once you kind of develop that favorite like uh, like we, we've talked about before like breath of the wild's a great game but it's not my favorite zelda game um mm-hmm. i'd say it's the pinnacle and the culmination of everything that zelda has is and is becoming uh but it's mm-hmm. not my favorite zelda game and my favorite zelda game is wind waker um and so i wouldn't necessarily say that uh it's wind waker's perfect but i kind of hold other games to the same standard like or other zelda games um to the standard of Wind Waker, like, okay, well, what's the story like? Um, what, what are the characters like? What is the gameplay like? Um, and compare it yeah, that way. I feel like that's pretty pretty natural, because yeah. I do the same thing with Ocarina of Time. So, like, yeah, I, I don't think, like, Breath of the Wild isn't my favorite, but it's, you could probably make a good case for it that it's the best. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like I said, I think that if people, if people are starting with Breath of the Wild, they're gonna, they're probably gonna be fans of Zelda going forward, because that game is just so good. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it, yeah, it, it doesn't really encompass like everything that the series is about, and maybe that's just us clinging on to our old Zelda games. <laughs> but uh, who knows? Yeah. So speaking of Breath of the Wild, then um, let's let's talk about something we haven't actually talked about with Breath of the Wild. We've talked about story and um, Ganon, but we haven't actually talked about the characters in the game. So I want to discuss uh, some of our favorite characters from the game um and why we liked them what was special about them what made them memorable uh okay pre-warning to anyone listening to this i'm horrible character names so (laughs) you're probably going to be you're probably going to be hating me as i'm talking about this go for it andy paya paya yeah paya Paya. yeah like like papaya yeah she was adorable (laughs) i really liked her um she immediately comes to mind uh who else is cool I, I, like most of the champions were, were pretty cool i think i think urbosa in particular was pretty badass mm-hmm. i liked her a lot uh i wish we would have saw more of her of course but um those are the two that immediately come to mind for me yeah i I'd, I'd say rivali is probably my one of my favorite characters from the game um oh, really yeah he was he was actually the first first champion that i went to go uh help out Mm. and uh so the thing is is he kind of has a character arc in the game um which is weird because it's short uh but you see uh at the beginning if you've if you played the game where you it's it's weird because in order to get this character arc you kind of have to play the game a certain way uh but if you play the game in such a way that you see the cutscenes where rivali is pretty much like well uh, especially the dubbing ceremony where he's like, mm-hmm. well, I don't understand like what the deal with the kid is. Like, I don't like him. Um, I think this is a waste of time. It's like it's just a gesture of uh, like hope or whatever it is. Like he just doesn't like Link. Um, and I like that because that's the first time we see someone not like Link. That's not a villain. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so he's always snarky towards Link. We've seen him, if you go to Rito Village, you also see a cutscene of them, um, of him being like, oh, well, you could come get me. You could fly up to, uh, what's it called? The, the bird, I don't remember its name, um, but you can't fly, so you can't get me. Um, but then once he's defeated yeah. as a champion and he and you have to go save him, eventually he's like, okay, well, I guess, you know, I guess I can I could see why you were chosen and you're not as bad as I thought you were. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's like a realization from him that goes from like a hate link to like, okay, I don't really hate him, but I don't like him to, I guess he's okay. Grudgingly respect. Yeah. Um, and he didn't think he was a warrior until then. Uh until like he freed him from the uh, windblight Ganon. Mm -hmm. So I I, See, I I think my thing with Rivoli is like, like I always thought he was he was kind of a prick, but like I guess that's like good because his character was such that you wanted to feel that about him until like you got that final scene. Um, so I think I think he did his job effectively. Um, he was like he was so like he was just like the perfect Falco though. <laughs> exactly, like, yeah. Like exact same like kind of yeah. I I don't like you, but I respect you kind of deal. Yeah. <clears throat> and then so. uh, you get into one of the things that confused me though um, was when I got to the beast. This is the first one that I went to. Um, his snarkiness made it sound like he was taunting Link throughout the whole like every time he'd go get a. Uh, He'd place the Sheikah Slate down and get a rune or whatever. Mm. Um, and so <clears throat> my thought was, oh, no, he's been corrupted by the beast and I have to fight him or something like that. Um, but it was just the way that he was played out and the way that he was talking. Um, it kind of threw me. Mm, that would have been really cool if you fought corrupted versions of them, actually. Well, like if each Windblight was, was like them and then you had to free them from yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of what I thought there. Um, another character I really liked, I don't remember his name. Um... And it's that kid Goron, uh, that uh, the only one that has a voice other than Daruk, where you're going through Goron's like the like the modern champion that yeah. you guide through the. Mm. I hated the. I don't remember his name either. I hated the mission involving him. It was it was awful. Um, the yeah, that mission. mission. Sucks. Uh, but he also had a character arc where he went straight from like a coward to, you know, I need to I need to man up and start doing things to. Um, protect mm -hmm. the village and I need to reflect our roots. I'm his descendant type of thing. Um, so you see a bit of a character arc there. Uh, my, I'm it, a little sour because there was a missed opportunity to, to expand these characters out more. Like um, once they were gone, they were gone. Like once you were done with uh, Goron City, you were pretty much done with him. And once you were done with yeah, Zora City or uh, Zora's Domain, Goodbye Sidon. And, and it's kind of like that each time. Like they were confined to their specific area and you never really heard mm -hmm. from them again, uh, which was, and, and I guess like, to be fair, that was the same thing. in like some of the older games you'd rescue, you know, you'd get the sages, you'd kind of finish that area. But yeah, it was, it, it was very like, like you do your part They're They're done. They get, they have the red beam that's shooting onto Calamity Ganon. And that was kind of bad for them. Yeah. It's just um, weird. Uh, the way that they, they, they just didn't feel like they, influence the world in any way especially the secondary characters that weren't the champions yeah like they didn't really have an influence because they <clears throat> once you were done with their domain you didn't really hear from them again you didn't even hear from them at the final battle with ganon you um mm -hmm. were and always i will always re remember this moment in paper mario the thousand year door where 
you're on the ropes and then you the, the crystal stars fly off and you start hearing the different voices from different areas from the people you've yeah. saved um and that not that i'm expecting that but like that that made them like okay well each individual still has like some impact in the world and they still matter uh even though you're done with that area um mm-hmm. <coughs> It's There's a really good RPG called um, Skies of Arcadia for Dreamcast, and they ported it to GameCube. And uh, there's a really cool moment in that game too, where like it's a big RPG, and you know you've, you've kind of done the same thing. You have like certain crystals to get, and they're all on different parts of the world or whatever. So right at the end of the game, just as you're like, there's this big evil empire that's um, that's you know coming down on you, and everything seems hopeless, and they're like everyone that vice has helped kind of comes together and it's really cool. That was, that was probably one of my favorite like video gaming moments. So yeah, I really like when they kind of like bring everything full circle like that back. Yeah. It's, it's just stuff like that. That makes it seem like, you know, they're, they're not self-contained and they're, they, they do matter in the end of the game. Um, and not just a means to an end, which is what some of these other characters felt like. Um, mm-hmm. And granted, again, this was like very out of, character for Nintendo to develop characters like this in general. Uh, but still, I like would have liked to see more of them um, in different ways throughout the game. Even, you know, we... In the context of Breath of the Wild, a companion wouldn't have made sense, um, but it would have been nice mm-hmm. to have, like, one of these characters uh, go along with you as you went. Of course, like, 90% of the fan base would have picked Sidon because of... Yeah. So, gosh, that's so weird. You do it. Um... um so i have i have not a character but like i always really liked when you were um when you're just like out and about in breath of the wild um wandering around and you find like a traveler and you run into them it's i don't know i always felt kind of like kinda like a kinship where like hey it's it's someone else like like wandering around or whatever and sometimes they would be assassins which sucked but then like sometimes you you know you can talk to someone and buy like a weird bug from them or whatever so not necessarily a character but um always someone that i liked running into yeah and even then you could sometimes find them fighting off uh goblins mm-hmm, yeah uh or moblins and then you could uh get stuff from them and it made the, that made the world feel more alive too mm-hmm. um since there were care like people around the world and not just uh monsters um so that that i agree with you. that was pretty cool uh to see like other characters walking around npcs Another one of my favorite characters is that pink-haired Gerudo. <laughs> I, I I think that uh, <clears throat> going forward, if Nintendo wants to build their characters in a significant way, uh, especially in Zelda, uh, the characters <clears throat> need to have more of an impact on uh, the rest of the world and need to continue having an input in order to matter. Otherwise, they don't seem to matter because it seemed like they were just in their own specific area of the game um and then that was it for them like they didn't you didn't hear from them again they they really didn't uh matter in the grand scheme of things they were just a a, a paywall to get through in order mm-hmm. to get to the rest of the game um because you had to uh help with the um get the thunder helm back or you had to rescue the the chick or something it was, it was uh the gerudo like you had to do certain things in order to appease the character in order to get to the beast um which yeah. was often more difficult than the actual beast itself uh but i i just feel like they the characters mattered but only in their own areas and they didn't really matter outside of the game which 
it's sad because I like some of them. I don't really understand everybody's fascination with Sidon. It's weird. No. And it, it it's creepy. Sorry if anybody on the website's like, oh man, but he's he's so like amazing. He's so dreamy. Nice. The guy's a fish. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it either. Yeah, it's it's uh this all the fan base is weird. It's uh it's... But power to you if you like him. Yeah, go for it, you know? You can be a pescatarian, but in love, mm-hmm. not in food. So <clears throat> uh, I don't know. Like I feel like like Breath of the Wild really just focused on Link and Zelda so much that like it didn't it didn't really make like any I wouldn't say other great character additions to the series. There's some cool characters, but yeah, like <laughs> um the fact that I that like I can only think of like two or three mm-hmm. characters that I that really like popped for me is probably probably tells you everything you need to know about the characters in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Um and so it's not again. We're not knocking on Breath of the Wild, saying it's a terrible game. We're just saying mm-hmm. there are areas that could be improved going forward, especially in character. Yeah. Development. Well, the thing is, is like people talk about and justifiably so about how great Breath of the Wild is, like ad nauseum, right? Like you can, you can go anywhere and read about the, the great aspects of this game, and they're all true. So you know, we're just trying to offer a little bit of balance. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> another topic I really wanted to get to. This isn't related to Zelda, um, but I feel like this is something important. <clears throat> So I'm going to add a little bit of context here um, so we can add our, our two cents. Um, there's there's two stories that I'm, refer- I'm going to reference, and uh, one of them you've heard us talk about, the other one you haven't. So, of course, you guys know that we've talked about the Colin Moriarty situation, um, and that's that's pretty much said and done. I'm not, I'm not offering, like, opinions on that. I'm just saying that there was a point in, in his career as a quote-unquote video game journalist for Kind of Funny – where his political views affected his career in video games. Uh, and so then he dropped out, and now he's doing mostly political stuff. Um, but then you get to someone like John Trump, <clears throat> who uh, his political views um, influenced whether or not he was in ukulele. And he was eventually kicked from ukulele. He's not in the game anymore, um, sadly. And so there's there's a... There's a conversation to be had there if whether or not um, politics and video games should mix in in the beginning um, and whether or not it was a good idea for – I don't really want to talk about whether or not it was a good idea for them to kick him off. Um, But whether or not politics and video games should mix in general um, and if they're a good mix and whether we should continue to to integrate them in such a way uh, or – try to stay as far away from them as possible. And <clears throat> one of the problems, I, I, I'm, I, I, it's weird for me because I'm for it and against it. Uh, and this kind of is weird for me, but the main reason I'm, I'm against it is because what some people have, like political views, um, for example, uh, American political views overall is a liberal liberal media. Um, it's, it, that, that, it tends to lean towards that. I'm not saying you're going to find stuff like that in Breath of the Wild. Um, but when those games enter other countries, you're getting those political views. Um, and I, I can, I can't think anything off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not going to give an example. Um, but even if, if you go from something like a game made in the United States, put to something in Canada, you're going to have different political views there. 
Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't translate over just as well as if it was aimed specifically for people in the United States. Um, you lose a lot of the nuance, you lose a lot of the understanding, um, especially going overseas. Uh, if you, you bring a Western game to to Japan, they're not going to understand, not, don't want to berate them for that, but they're not going to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, for what it's trying to be. Um, and so that's, that's my big hang up on it. Of course, I've got some other opinions on, but I, I kind of want to toss it to you um, as someone who's like outside of the United States, because this is mostly a problem in the United States. Like you don't really hear about people complaining about uh, political agendas and video games in other countries. It's 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 mostly us. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are what are your thoughts on that? Um, so a couple thoughts right off the bat is as video games become more and more of an art form, I think it's inevitable that politics will get into video games and i think they have a place in them but you have to be careful about that it's like i i wouldn't ever want to see politics in something like zelda or something like metroid or mario because like those games are for everybody regardless of you know your political leanings regardless of you know whatever like those are just those are fun games for everybody to enjoy and and be like and like the last thing that you want to have, like the, the last thing you want is for something to be preaching at you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can play a game or watch a movie and they can have a message and, and it all comes down to the delivery. If they deliver it tastefully and they deliver it, you know, in a way that's not like wagging their finger at you, then it can be okay. Um, if it's not, then you're probably just going to be worse off for it than for whatever message you're trying to get across than before you played it or before you watched it. If I if I had to like um, if I had to nail down where I think politics place in video games are, I would probably say like I would, I would probably say like make a make a new make a new game make a new adventure you know House of Cards the series or something like that. And you can put your message, whatever way it is in there. And like, that can be a part of your, of your selling point for that game, you know? And if people, if people want to, you know, if people want to buy into that, then great. Cause I mean, you don't watch house of cards and expect that you're not going to get like some kind of political (laughs) message in there. Right. Yeah. So like by the same token, you shouldn't, you shouldn't go and buy the house of cards video game, expecting that you're not going to get some politics in there, but you, I don't think that you should go and buy the Legend of Zelda, like the new Zelda game, and see um, Zelda, you know, giving you giving you grief about, you know, the whatever in Hyrule, like the the politics in Hyrule. So, I think that there should be a divide like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like I do think they have a place. I, it, it, I don't know. It's just it's touchy. It comes down to delivery for the most part and it comes down to your forum and how you're going to get that across i think there's a place but it's um it's just like anything else like you you need to be careful and you need to be tactful and most of all you need to be respectful to to the people that are going to be taking it in because you know like i like i don't i don't want to watch a tv show and get yelled at for for like not being a vegetarian or something (laughs) like that or, or whatever right like yeah and I think that that, uh, like you said, as video games become more of an art form and more and more recognized as an art form, um, you're going to start seeing stuff like that uh, in a way that reflects politics or a certain worldview. Um, and you see stuff mm-hmm. like that already. I, I finally 
got some examples like in her story or uh even inside like there's some it's multi-level uh symbolism there you could talk about capitalism or corporatism or something like that with with inside it really doesn't make a lot of sense to me um there's probably somebody that's figured out what it meant i don't know i've played the game i've, I've watched the, the real ending i hit that game does not make sense to me um but you you get to stuff like that that has nuance to it and you're like okay i can understand that they're aiming this in a specific way to talk about something or, or to make known a certain issue um but there also is that fine line of uh you know especially today where you have to walk the fine line of whether or not what you're doing is helpful or whether or not what you're doing is harmful um, mm -hmm. especially in video games, if, if you're alienating a core part of your audience in order to tell them like to, to push your agenda, whether it be left or right or in the middle, you're going to, you're going to lose a lot of your audience. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, it's never been more divided oh, than it is exactly. right now. And the problem is, is not necessarily that you, 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 you don't have to make it not political. Like, you can have your messages in a game, especially as it's become an art form and as an expression of yourself. I mean, that's really what video games are, is they're an expression of the creator um, to mm -hmm. be enjoyed by the consumer. And so you're inevitably going to have some things that reflect the creator in there and the way that they think and feel. Um, but then there are problems, especially with movies. Um, I'd say this is the biggest, I mean, books, obviously, but those are a little less, uh, little less scrupulous when it comes to details in terms of those because they're not... Uh, like there's, it's a wide variety. I mean, I'm not going to get into that, but um, with movies, especially now you start seeing movies that really try hard to push an agenda and they end up alienating either half of their potential uh, watch base or angering them. And uh, the, the two movies that come to my mind, um, there's one that's coming out in June called Beatrice at dinner. Um, and it looks like a movie that's, like anti-white-collar um, worker, and it demonizes them. Um, and to me, that's the God's not dead of those movies because it ends up demonizing a specific group and alienating them. And that the difficulty in video games is you're not necessarily going to have um, all the directness or even the nuances that you're going to have with a movie um, to, to push an agenda, uh, especially because you're... you're Casting it to a wider audience, um, kind of like I was saying, like you're not going to find that stuff in Legend of Zelda or Metroid or Mario, hopefully, uh, mm -hmm. but you might find that stuff in more Western games being pushed out, um, and so you, the the developer has to be careful uh, when they do that because they they do risk alienating part of their audience, whether that's from a lack of understanding about their political leaning or their uh, worldview, or <coughs> they're alienated because they disagree with it. Um, and even, even when you come to, uh, Breath of the Wild, uh, a game that's philosophy of, of play is open world sandbox, basically, um, that alienated a lot of the user base because their philosophy for gaming was linearity. And so and you're not always going to make people happy. Um, but you have to be infinitely more careful, uh, when you come to, um, injecting a worldview or, or politics into a game, especially in, in American culture. Uh, at least that's what I think. 
I, I feel like the best movies about that kind of, about like really anything that that handles sensitive subjects are the movies that kind of like like let you interpret what they mean rather than telling you directly what they mean you know mm. um so if you can if like i think the goal would be like you can infer for yourself what that message is and you can make your own kind of message about about whatever but that those are always the movies that that do better to me versus like you know a really good show that did that was mad men it, it would kind of like just let you interpret all the meanings and symbolism behind uh, what they were doing rather than just like come out and tell you and that like that's always been really smart to me like that was a really smart show I think and so I like I think there's like I think there's definitely a place for it but they have to be smart like that and if it's not it's going to come come off across as, as hokey yeah you know um like it, it, the like fallout is... has a little bit of <laughs> of that in it yeah uh again the importance is nuance uh, when you when it comes mm-hmm. to stuff like this um and and abstraction that's where stuff like inside comes from where there's really an abstract meaning to it and that can be extrapolated and if it's overt typically overt uh blatantness is poor storytelling um if you're cramming it down someone's throat without having them infer uh your meaning through through implicit means um, then it could come across as poor storytelling because you're not you're, you're treating the listener as though they don't like as though they're stupid and they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where nuance comes in and that's where abstraction comes in because you're assuming that the the consumer is well versed in whatever they're doing or whatever you're you're giving to them that they're going to be able to, to pull out their own meaning from it. Like uh, games like Journey or even Shadow of the Colossus that are just so abstract in terms of story. Um, but gamers can pull meaning out of that in different ways uh, that isn't whether or not it's the main uh, explicit reason or explicit uh, worldview for that game. Um, it can be you know, implicitly understood, hopefully, um, if it's been told right. Um, and I just think that we're, we're coming to a point in video games where we're going to start seeing, especially with stuff like Call of Duty, um, they're not necessarily known for their stories, uh, but you're mm-hmm. gonna start seeing like or their subtlety. <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, you're gonna start seeing war games that uh, reflect the political climate of today, and uh, in, in how they approach war, because it's mm-hmm. a touchy subject. Um, and Battlefield One got a lot of praise for how it handled war um, and how it displayed the. A disparity of of the first world war and how utterly disgusting it was and they had to be careful with that because they, that could come up that you can either be disrespectful with it or you could just be uh, untasteful with it and as we're, we're going to start seeing more and more of these games with these these political biases to them um, just because that's the climate we live in now again we're probably not going to see this out of uh eastern companies um, again, like I don't think Square Enix is gonna put out Final Fantasy Trump Edition, um, mm-hmm. but you are you are gonna start seeing more of these in video games, um, and it's good and bad, and hopefully they they know what they're doing so that they can do it right. Uh, so we don't like uh, they're obviously, uh, I, I, of course. I there's all he's always the exception to the rule. Um, Kojima made no qualms about. Uh, putting in political bias 
and how he viewed American culture in the Metal Gear Solid games. That's true, yeah. Um, the, what strikes me about that, though, is, like, Kojima always, like, he would throw his criticisms in, but then there would be, like, this 20-minute monologue of <laughs> how great the early movies, like, the early, like, you know, Hollywood movies were and stuff like that. So he had, like... He had a different. He had a balance to it, and he's a he's a guy that I would actually single out. Now that you mentioned him as being able to to straddle that line of like, he can deliver his message, but it's it's tact and it's um, like it, it's it makes sense enough that I don't like I don't think that anyone playing Metal Gear Solid wouldn't agree with like we probably shouldn't be making nuclear weapons and stuff like that, you know. So his message was was broad and and tact enough that it uh, it came across well. So I'm not sure if a lot of other developers would be able to do that as maybe as well as he would, but um, I think it's like you you mentioned Metal Gear Solid, like that's that was like <laughs> almost 20 years ago now. So it's definitely it's definitely started, mm-hmm. and I think it'll only keep on keep on like picking up steam. Well, you get to stuff with uh, um, <clears throat> Metal Gear Solid Two: Sons of Liberty, I guess, where there's that whole speech at the very end of the game um, mm-hmm. with uh, the Sons of Liberty with the Patriots, uh, where they're talking about American culture and how they're indoctrinating people and how they're you know all these things, and it's it's a little all too real, especially in today's context, um, but he did it in such a way that it fit within the game's world and it didn't seem like it was out of place, especially because Metal Gear Solid's always kind of been about um, politics and um, how that's, Mm -hmm. how that works. Um, Then you kind of get to a game like Metal Gear Solid Rising Revengeance, which is just a heck of a name. Um, I never, I never did play that. It's a little bit more over. It's not Kojima, uh, but it's a little, that's why I didn't play it. It's platinum games. It's a little bit more overt in terms of its, uh, political um, like view of Western culture. The, the president of the United States and that is pretty much before Donald Trump, he was Donald Trump, uh, mm. which is, it's really weird kind of looking back on the things that he says and looking back and looking at the things Donald Trump says now. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little cartoony, but then you see stuff like Metal Gear Solid 3 or Metal Gear Solid 4 where, where you hit these areas in, in history, um, five, <clears throat> maybe not so much, Um where you hit these areas in history where you see things uh, that reflect different areas uh, like the Cold War or... Mm-hmm. So, and, and he approaches I'm, them... I'm surprised I didn't think of that actually right away when you said politics and gaming. Because Metal Gear Solid 3 is one of my favorite games, like ever. <coughs> so you can definitely do it very tastefully. Um, and Metal Gear Solid is helped out by the fact that like you can have this big serious sermon about, you know... Um, nuclear arms or like you know uh, the government watching you but like right after that then you can have a robotic ninja fighting a vampire too so like it's it knows when to not take itself seriously and it and it's um definitely has that balance that i think you would need in order to really like kind of get your point across yeah and again kojima is like a master storyteller he's been studying this mm-hmm. stuff for years he studies film um to inject into his games and i can only imagine um what death stranding is going to contain in terms of story and how that's going to play out uh granted we have no idea when that game's coming out um <clears throat> but you're gonna see you know he I, i'd hold him as the gold standard when it comes to uh, having a social commentary in a, in a game especially a triple a game and and how yeah. to approach that um because while he like you said you know he it's super serious but then it also gets really campy like you have naked Raiden running around the complex holding his 
crotch to mm-hmm. prevent it from being seen. Like that that's the happens pretty much within the same breath. <laughs> and it's just uh kind of ridiculous, but it's done in such a way that it it is not necessarily preachy, but it's more of a commentary. Um and I think mm-hmm. that that's that's something that should be done as opposed to to get in terms of getting a message across is having a social commentary. It's kind of like uh, what makes a good comedian because a bad comedian is going to lecture about politics. A good comedian is going to uh, bring up commentary on it. Um, yeah. He's going to do that and make it funny. Actually, like I just watched the new Dave Chappelle on Netflix mm-hmm. and that was, that was really clever the way that he kind of talked about some of his issues too. And he's funny about <laughs> it still, which is important. Yeah. So I think that middle gear solid was funny about a lot of things too. You listen to people like uh, Louis CK um, mm. there's another guy, Anthony Jeselnik, you know, careful with those. Cause they are very, very, very crass, um, in terms of some of the stuff that they talk about. Um, but they provide, uh, pretty much uncensored social commentary, um, <clears throat> that, you know, sometimes you could say crosses the line, but you know, where's the line in comedy, but they do it in such a way that it's not like preaching at you. It's pointing out the flaws in society and saying, well, this is, this is stupid or this is funny. Like this is like kind of makes you examine it yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what a good uh, message does uh, when it's being communicated is it makes the person receiving the message examine it themselves without being told what to examine. Um, So if I'm being, if I'm being laid out a plan for how to look at, I don't know, the economy and I'm told that this is the way you have to do it as opposed to say, figure it out for yourself I'm probably not going to swing towards the way I was told to do it um, just because mm-hmm. it's it was preached at me in such a way that was like, you you don't have any other way of thinking about it. This is how you think about it. And I think that's important for video games to realize, especially, again, Kojima is like the gold standard here, is do it in such a way that makes you reflect on it yourself to where, mm-hmm. okay, well, he's pointing out, you know, the way that the government acts and the way the government watches its citizens and influences them. It, uh, how is that is that really happening do i need to like like is this something i should be aware of um what are examples of this in modern culture and <clears throat> when it comes down to it, it it's just it has to be a reflection of society um that turns the mirror back on you and makes you think well man i, I need to give this deeper thought that that's how to create a thought-provoking message in a game um especially mm-hmm. in terms of politics I think so. So yeah. So I want to throw it back to Zelda here for a second. So I don't necessarily think that like like politics in in particular should be in like a Zelda game, but like I think that I love that I love when themes are in a Zelda game. Like for Breath of the Wild, for example, you could probably look at that game and put together that there is a theme of overreliance on technology and how that could go, you know, wrong very quickly. Um there's a there's lots of, of different meanings and themes that you could uh, infer from that game, and I think like that's really cool. Like I think like that should definitely be a part of some franchises going forward, and that's how they stay relevant and that's how they stay like fresh. But yeah, like like I would never want to see um, like like strictly politics in in one of my Zelda games. Like I would never want Zelda to say like you know my dad ran Hyrule with a tight iron fist and all the people revolted against him or whatever, you know, like, but as far as themes go, like, absolutely. I mean, like I can understand like 
them talking about the politics of Hyrule, but not in such a way that reflects like yeah it, yeah now that i said that was probably a bad example but like <laughs> like I, I don't want them to get into it you know well, like I say wanna, like I, I don't want the king to like talk about his policies or whatever or like say yeah. like the king was like i'm gonna make america or make hyrule great again type of thing um, yeah and, and that kind of like a, a direct uh hit um but like you said like with with themes it's it's always better to show not tell um mm-hmm. and you wrote yes. that wrote about that in one of your articles too um <clears throat> and that's something that i always say when it comes to storytelling is if Zelda had given a long speech about over-reliance on technology, um, then it probably wouldn't have had the same impact as if you yeah. drew the conclusion yourself. Yeah, well, exactly. Like, because you just, just looking around, like, you kind of, you, you always get that evidence of, like, of, like, how things just went so wrong. And you can then infer, like, why did things go so wrong? Well, they probably went so wrong because they relied on these, machines that they didn't really understand or were evolving too quickly for them and you can very easily relate that to to what's going on today around us mm-hmm. so yeah I, like there were certain aspects of zelda that i didn't like the story that i don't think was was you know great in the fact that they told and didn't show but like when it came to the themes and the overworld and stuff like that the breath of the wild excelled at that and it did you know it, i don't know if there's a better better game for just kind of showing you the theme of it rather than just you know <laughs> batting you over the head with like a like a big monologue about it well and with that comes an understanding that your audience is smarter than they than you think they are um or they're smarter than than you're giving them credit for uh, and sometimes mm-hmm. that's good sometimes that's bad you have to walk a fine line um because you tell them too much and you treat them like they're stupid you tell them too little and they're not going to understand your message um but it, again like if you look further into breath of the wild like you're talking about you could see Okay, well, look at a place like Hakuriko Village where there's like no technology, uh, really. But then you move into um, like Hyrule Castle and there's technology everywhere. And, mm, the place is falling apart. Yeah, and, and so you, you see like the the warring dichotomy of, of nature versus technology, um, and that is that is a very Japanese ideal um, in terms of mm. like, well, we need to return to nature type of thing, uh, <clears throat> but. Again, if they had told you and laid it out for you in such a way that's like, here's Zelda's long, like, 10-minute speech about it, um, then it, it wouldn't have had the same impact. You'd have just been like, oh, great, here's here's a speech about uh, technology and why it's bad or why we need less of it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it, always, it, it just always comes down to nuance and how you tell the story. Like, you have to treat the reader, something when writing, always always give the reader credit but not too much credit. Um, that sounds really negative, but you never want to treat them like they're stupid by over-explaining, um, because that, you know, it's insulting. Um, Mm -hmm. it's like, you can always take it to the extreme and say like, well, if you're defining certain words, like the, every time you mention the Legend of Zelda, you're like, the Legend of Zelda is actually a series about this, this, and this. (laughs) Um, you're, you're treating the readers if they're, they they have no idea what you're talking about. You never want to do that. Um, but you do want to explain more abstract concepts um, like if I was writing about psychology or uh, what I'm planning on doing, um, writing about theology in uh, Legend of Zelda, I'm going to have to explain those concepts, but I'm not going to have to explain other con- like the uh, basic concepts of the game. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so it's like you always have to be careful with that, especially as a writer, especially as Nintendo going forward um, with how they tell stories and with how um, they lie- lay them out. Uh, and I just think, again, like it's, it's show, not tell. Uh, that's the yeah, best exactly. the best way to tell a story and to get a message across. 
Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. So anything else on that <clears throat> from your point of view? No. Uh, in summary, I think there's a place for it, but you you got to do it right. You know, mm-hmm. um, you got to do it tactfully, respectfully. And um, yeah, if you do that, I think absolutely there's there's a place for it. If you want to, if you want to get really political, maybe keep it out of, you know, um, the big series, but by all means, I think there's a place for a really political game mm-hmm. in today's, uh, market, but, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, we'll see, we'll see, like, I, I don't, I don't suspect that politics will ever be in, you know, like, a, like Zelda or like pretty much any of Nintendo's big franchises going forward, yeah. but they, they can be done well and they can be done, um, you know, with taste. And so if, if they can, they should, mm-hmm. is my kind of final thought for that. And again, like, like you said, in summary, like just, it has to be nuanced in such a way that conveys the story without insulting the listener or the reader, or the player. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's probably one of the more important things about just storytelling in general, but especially when it comes to this, um, never insult your audience because mm-hmm. then you alienate them. And when it comes to Zelda, if that if that hasn't shown us anything, it's that the zombie apocalypse talk is never going to happen. What's really going to happen is the robots are going to take over, and I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah, your your AI. Heard it here first. Yep. <clears throat> so that's that's about it for this week. Uh, cool. Uh, so I, I picked up I got a book. <coughs> it's called The Legend of Zelda um, and Philosophy. I link, therefore, therefore I, I am. am. Yeah. So I'm going I'm going on a trip. Um, today I'm going out of town for a few days, so I'm going to read that while I'm gone. So maybe we'll have some cool stuff to talk about next week and see, uh, see what's kind of pulled up from there. I'll let you, I'll let you take control of that one. Then you can bring up some questions and we'll, we'll just talk about that. Cool. All right. We'll see you guys next week then. All right, guys. Adios. Bye.